Thanks for joining us on Leading Beyond the Code by Cadre Connect. This is the podcast where we go beyond the surface of technology and explore the transformative power of leadership through interviews with industry leaders. Hosted by me, Ben Malloy. Okay, welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Gary Blunden. Gary is founder of Blunden's. Uh, great to have you on the show today, Gary. I'm really excited to speak with you today. So thanks so much for taking this time out of your, I'm sure, incredibly busy day to uh, sit down and have a chat with me. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Great to speak to you again. Look, really looking forward to delving into some of the subjects around digital twins and artificial intelligence. I think it's really important, certainly from the technical perspective to, to provide insights from 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 leaders within business around changes going on within this space absolutely i mean so you mentioned great to speak to me again so i think it's worth um mentioning to the listeners here that <laughs> we've actually been on the podcast before so uh that was back in may on a different podcast called tech in 10 and you know we were speaking around ai and internet of things and things so you know we were talking before we hit record here and May, in the grand scheme of things, is only a few months ago. So it's not that, that, not that long, but in the tech world, uh, it's basically an eternity. So uh, what updates have happened since I last spoke to you in, in May? Well, there's been some great advancements in artificial intelligence. I think when we spoke in May, the onset of, of ChatGPT was taking the world by storm, and we saw generative AI uh, in lots of different areas of business taking hold lots of new projects around that time. And since then, even just in that small spell of time, we've seen significant advancements and a staggering pace of innovation mm. in AI. And uh, we were very fortunate recently to attend uh, a presentation and get some of the most recent advancements in hardware to help support this race, I suppose, in, in innovation within AI. And uh, also took our learnings and, and, and shared that with the with the small business community, uh, an event hosted by the FSB. And this was at Microsoft headquarters at Thames Valley Park. Mm. We led a presentation for the small businesses. About twenty businesses attended, uh, where we we shared our experiences and um, our insights into to the world of AI and, and uh, all the subsets of AI or of, of artificial intelligence that small businesses can now start to to look at and and um, start to strategically place themselves around AI. So it's really interesting, those conversations yeah. that we have with small businesses versus the, the different types of topics that we cover with, with conversely, with, with large businesses and, 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 um, and corporations. Interesting. I mean, what, you know, I really want to dive straight into this. So you, know, you mentioned small businesses and AI. I mean, what can small businesses do now, you know, to, to really utilize and leverage the benefits of AI? I think this is the real question that, that small businesses need to ask uh, of themselves, which yeah. is, you know, artificial intelligence may well be the most consequential advancement of technology in our lifetime. Uh, it's such a powerful piece of kit mm. and how small businesses leverage this capability will ultimately determine, I think, their success metrics over the next 6, 12, 18 months because the, 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 we, we need to bridge a gap between the small uh, and medium enterprises that are investing, certainly in the midsize that are investing in AI now, yeah. um, small businesses can start to use co-pilots and they can start to do this in many different areas of, of business operations, which will automate and streamline their processes. And that the way they do that 
uh, initially is to try and mine their processes, to try and understand if they don't already the processes that they're doing in their business around sales and marketing and, and publishment and, and, and other areas where they can start to leverage uh, and liberate themselves from that activity using AI systems. I, I really want to understand a little bit about digital twins. Now, we covered this a little bit on the podcast last time, but just before we get into the main conversation here and dig quite deep into it, I just want to give like the listeners a bit of information on digital twins and what exactly it is. Absolutely. It's a very esoteric term, I think, digital twins. Mm. It's hard to understand its applicability uh, in business. And so first, just to define what it is. So a, a digital twin is a 3D visualization of a physical object or asset. And this is hosted in, in a 3D digital space. So if you can imagine a an office building. This is an example we gave at the Data and AI show at the tech show in London a few months back, where we had a real scaled down, of course, office environment, yeah. a typical office floor layout. And we had a digital twin of that office floor. So we had a, uh, a digital representation of that entire floor layout with all of the assets in. So the chairs, the desks, the, the lobby, the, the, the kitchen, and, and all of the, you know, the hob, the fridge, the water cooler, everything was there and, and, and interactive. Um, in the 3D space. And what we did with that digital space is that we simulated scenarios within that environment that mm-hmm. people could come up. We had an app where people could interact with that environment so they could run certain simulations so they could say there's been a break-in right. uh, you know, in the middle of the night. And you can see the 3D environment react to, to this, this data essentially wow. coming through from the sensors in the environment. The windows had been smashed you know, the, the occupancy sensors were detecting two people in a certain room within that office space. And then with that information, you can then trigger off a load of processes, of course, to notify emergency services or inform facility management staff and get people looking at it quickly in that particular environment and that scenario. Uh, we also ran a fire risk scenario as well to improve worker safety, where we, we simulated a fire taking place in a, in, a, in a bin and then seeing that spread across the building and it's triggering off lots of sensors, of course, like smoke detectors, of course, detecting that there was smoke obscuration within the room. And then obviously the temperature of the room going up. And then we could also measure uh, that using machine vision, we can actually measure what type of fire it might be. Um, so really, I suppose, bleeding edge technology. Wow. Uh, but the application of this is so important in so many different verticals so certainly worker safety is an area that we specialize in to try to understand fire risk in certain scenarios we are working at the moment with a lightning protection company to try and understand how we can simulate that phenomenon which is lightning um, hitting buildings and simulating that scenario on buildings which are multi-purpose so they could be you know a church in the daytime they could be uh, in midweek they could be a nursery you know on, on on the weekend you know, they're acting as a, as a, um, you know, it, as their sole purpose. And then, so there's lots, it's a multi-purpose building. And so simulating those sorts of attacks on those buildings, you can do using digital twins. So in short, it's got lots of applications, which we're exploring. What kind of strikes me is that, you know, these advancements in technology, you know, if we snapped our fingers and then all of a sudden we're 10 years into the future, everyone would, we'd be shocked at the, the difference in the world, I guess. Um, purely based on technology. But because these advancement ha- advancements happen quite incrementally and quite slowly over time, I think like the public and generally people don't really notice the changes that much, really. Do you think that's the case with digital twins and this and AI, that it's happening so slowly that we're not really seeing how big an impact it's having? 
I think that's very much the case. That there, there, there tends to be cohorts of people that specialize, of course, in these particular technologies, and they yeah. see that that rate of change because they're you know observing it frequently. But certainly for some that you know are not close to the likes of digital twins and the Internet of Things and embedded systems, this, that's not part of your your world. You know, your zeitgeist. Yeah. Then you're not going to be concerning yourself with its advancement until the point where it impacts you. Um, and so there's this technology that you didn't know exist, and now it's monitoring the environment that you work within. Wow. So it's quite a significant step change yeah. um, for lots of people to get their head around. Um, there have been, over the, the sort of last five years, Ben, there's been quite significant advancements in in networking capability, right. which has uh, enabled the, 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 the capabilities of, of uh, narrow, narrow band um, devices, which are, la- are able to communicate with low power mm. uh, for long periods of time uh, across a, a fairly wide field of, of space. So this allows us to capture sensory data in environments which otherwise you know uh, just simply half a decade back we wouldn't be able to have done so yeah um, yeah we, we are exploring the hardware as much as the software and the applications and the business alignments so it is a it's an, a growing area it's still very mm. much in its infancy uh, but we are seeing quite a, an uptake really over the last six months in, in conceptualizing this for certain parts of, um, of business operations mostly in manufacturing engineering and, and transport incredible what are some of the challenges with, that comes with this space i mean it must be an unbelievable amount of data that's required and i guess cybersecurity would that be a a challenge that you'd have to deal with absolutely yeah one of the main concerns with iot and digital twins technology right. is cybersecurity. so these technologies rely on data exchange right and that data exchange is happening between the devices in that environment the networks that they sit within and in some instances, um, also data ingression, egress into the cloud. Mm. So there's lots of attack vectors, I suppose, that, that, they can, that are vulnerable to cyber attacks if they're not properly secured. So, um, And as a business, it's our a role, of course, to provide solutions that clients can adopt and develop uh, cybersecurity strategies around mm. to help them minimize those risks. Wow. I mean, we, we were talking about emerging technologies earlier with this. Um, you mentioned the office space. But I mean, there's another huge part of this, which I, which kind of blows my mind, which is the idea of smart cities. Now, is this already happening in some areas of the world? Or is it kind of like being developed in some areas of the world? Uh, I suppose in some examples, I mean, you've got places like Jeddah uh, in Saudi Arabia that mm-hmm. uh, have um, publicized that, that, you know, their, their, their city is smart is a smart yeah. environment uh, and they have massive data regression into centralized systems that are monitoring and, and analyzing the environment uh, the truth is as well that a lot of that capability is now on, on on legacy technology because it was implemented some time ago so you know they're constantly advancing the, the definition of what we would consider to be smart smart cities is certainly a uh, an aspiration for us you know, to, to work towards, certainly within the UK. I think the problems we have in the UK is around infrastructure. Yeah. So having yeah. the right capability and investment by, by the UK government to support, you know, this advancement within technology. So we, that, that's, that's feasible, technically feasible to implement. Yeah. And we've still got a way to go yet before we're able to do that here. Do you think that humans are, are definitely, will be ready for this kind of thing when it happens? It just seems beyond futuristic to me. I'm not sure. It's almost like a Charlie Brooker kind of concept, isn't it? <laughs> you, yeah, you'll start to see a slow adoption. Yeah. Uh, of various subsets of what we're talking about. So yeah. I believe uh, sort of over the next five years, we'll start to certainly see 
factory digital twins. So your, your, the factory, smart factories, I suppose, um, within manufacturing will start, they already are in this sort of space already, but you'll start to see a mass adoption of that across, you know, very many different industries. And uh, there is the concept of industrial IoT. Um, so uh, these are devices that are embedded in, in environments that support, you know, uh, that industrialization. Mm. And we also are starting to see uh, remote asset monitoring as right. well using digital twins. So having facility management, using building information tooling, but being offsite and, and then using the capabilities of these sensory detectors to, wow. to actually monitor those environments. You'll start to see as well, you know, digitally assisted shop floor dashboards. Yeah. Uh, so when you go shopping for your clothes and, you know, you're purchasing um, those, you'll likely be, I think uh, Zara now in, in uh, a lot of their stores are having these implemented where you have, you know, no shop clerk, you go in, you throw your clothes into a bucket, it yeah. knows what's in the bucket, yeah. purchases it all, um, and then you walk out. So you'll start to see the advancements yeah. of these sort of embedded systems in various guises. And this yeah. is all really centered around what we're discussing, which is, you know, these embedded systems. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point that you mentioned there, you know, and it kind of bleeds into, you know, incremental changes, like you were saying. I mean, I remember I've experienced those kind of clothes buckets where you throw your clothes in, in a shop and it just calculates what items are in there, which is absolutely crazy. But yeah, like we were talking about, that's such an incremental. But then you walk out of the shop and you go, oh, that was cool. You know, you, you don't freak out and start spinning around and like knocking shelves over, freaking out about how advanced that technology is, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I did. Um, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, the uh, there's lots I want to talk about. So uh, I really want to find out how... This is such cutting-edge technology, you know. So how do you stay on top of the the changes that are happening? Because it, it's happening so fast. If you're so far ahead of the curve, where, where is there to, to find out all this information, especially if you're kind of at the forefront of it? Yeah, there's a very famous saying that if you're at the cut, you know, you bleed on the cutting edge. Um, mm. So it's very easy to to back the wrong horse, and um, and so you know because you're right at the forefront uh, of that technical innovation, you do have to take time, you know, to to, to sit back and look at the bigger picture right. and, and ensure that there's value drivers in what you're looking at. And we do this really across six areas, I suppose. So data services. So most of these IoT really drives its value from data analytics. Yeah, um, it's the data foundational. Uh, layer that's actually providing that 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 rich um, insight into the environment. So data service is such a pivotal part of that technical implementation, and there's lots to that. So you've got data streaming, so real-time data uh, moving from one environment to the next so that we can use the, the, the data to, to do real-time processing and batch processing. Mm-hmm. There's uh, data acquisition and ingestion as well. So not only your data within your environment, but you may need to integrate that with other systems and services outside of your business. Uh, And so you may couple that with synthetic data. If you're running simulations, you may not have the data store available for you to run those against. And therefore, you need a simulation model repository to bring that synthetic data into. So data services are such a big part of that. Then there's the intelligence of it all. So, yeah. you know, you need to be able to orchestrate that delivery of data into those physical environments and then take that into the digital space. So there's lots of work to do there to federate those environments with, with your cloud environments or third-party cloud environments. It's just the composition of the data layer and the, and the software mm-hmm. uh, that we're running that, that data through. 
There's also trustworthiness, certainly in this day and age, data yeah. encryption, security, privacy, reliability. We've got to make sure it's resilient mm-hmm. and make sure as well that we're, we're, we're uh, adhering to, you know, the sovereignty or the, uh, or the, or the data obligations that businesses may have in different mm-hmm. territories. Uh, then there's just the, the bit that we all care about, you know, is the user experience. Exactly. So yeah. once all that technical stuff is dealt with and you've got the management under wraps and the data services are all implemented to good practice, then it's all about that visualization. Uh, and now you've, we've, we've got available to us augmented reality and virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So actually rendering 3D models, overlaying business intelligence on top of that in a augmented space so people can actually interact with the environment and pull assets out and it's uh it's just the mixture of all of those different areas that we need to continuously review yeah and, and build an acceptance criteria around that we're happy that to drive value into these businesses that we work with amazing i mean there's a part of this which i imagine might be a bit of a challenge which is when you're working with small businesses you know if you're not a part of this world the tech space if you're not part of the tech space and you're not kind of involved in this day-to-day how much of what you do is educating small businesses about what it is that you can do and how it can really benefit them a a large portion of course certainly with the small businesses and mid-enterprises that may not have that knowledge and experience around these types of technologies Mm. Uh, and these tend to be driven by different KPIs. So if they're, okay. if the solution is to solve an operational problem, so they may want an increase in quality or output, they might want to decrease their costs. And um, we actually start working with that problem statement, first of all, okay. just to, to drive alignment and consensus within that business of what they actually want to achieve. And then we move on to the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we say, you know, this capability now, maybe of smart cities, right, to say that there are cities assets that you can use uh, within a centralized smart technology where you can monitor and analyze those now. Uh, which will you know decrease your costs because you'll be able to do pre-planned maintenance. We'll be able to see if those things are are starting to to, to gain wear and tear. Um, you can improve the overall equi- uh, effectiveness of the equipment if you're monitoring it. Mm-hmm. So the the conversations are, tend to be led actually by a by a problem statement. So um, HR, for example, to increase employee satisfaction, we may need to monitor the employee environment. Yeah, um, and you know that's their goal. That's their KPI. They want to enable and have a capable workforce uh, and so we'll provide you know a smart environment for them to be able to to, to monitor that mm. um, it could be simply you know an oversaturated office yeah um, or, or having bottlenecks in large office spaces you know how we yeah. can improve that by monitoring the environment so yeah normally led by the kpis initially on our, on our first engagements interesting i mean to be honest i mean even i would massively benefit you know i'm a single you know i'm a single man business owner you know as in like i own i'm just freelance essentially but i mean even i have issues that i i definitely can understand would be resolved with the use of these technologies even small kind of minor things that can be can be implemented you know i don't know exactly what those might be but i'm sure i'm sure you do (laughs) for yourself that um you were your micro business or or a small business and uh, you know you have a lot of the work is on your shoulders uh, to deliver yeah. and the best place for because it's like yourself and of course we do this uh with lots of small businesses already as you know then and um, we educate you know via the microsoft channels as a microsoft partner we work with the federation for small businesses and the real goal there is to educate people to say look at your processes and, yeah. and you know start doing some process mining 
you'll be so surprised, I think, by how much you can automate and streamline. Really? Um, and if you take out the human element yeah. uh, from that, you, you, at times, I'm not saying always, but you'll, it will supersede right. you know, the achievement because it's an AI system. It's built you know, with large data sets and information that can help not just expedite your process, but enrich it, make it more personalized, wow. um, whatever your goal is with that. And so that's what we're trying to do with small businesses all up and down the country now. We have quite a lot of people signing up with us um, as a managed partner. So we will come in and do that activity for them. Wow. We'll, we'll look at the business processes, we'll map them, we'll then provide a, an automation spec to say, look, these are the you know, these are the priority tasks that you should be looking to automate. See, that's, that's so amazing because... You know, if you're say say it's like me, if I'm if I'm just working on a small business and I've got my processes that haven't changed for two years or whatever, it's so hard. You know, especially day to day when you're doing the job, it's so hard to step out of that and kind of look in at your processes and go, "This can be streamlined by doing this." You know, it's so difficult because you're just so used to doing it the way that you've always done it. And even like in businesses that are kind of medium to large size businesses that I've worked in in the past. Just because they've been doing something the same way for so long, you know, and, and mm-hmm. resilience change. I think that's an important sentence. I think a lot of people and businesses are so resilient to change. You see it particularly in kind of sales businesses and businesses like that that are so stuck in their ways. And they say, this is the way we've been doing it for 25 years. We're not going to change it now. It works. But there's so many better, especially with technology and data, there's so many better ways to do things now. Do you find that that is the case at all? Or do you find that when you speak to people, they're always really open to to developing and, and looking into these things? I, I think the scale of the challenge quite aligns with the size of the business. So yeah. if uh, an example recently that we had a business that was quite reticent to change, they didn't want to go in and uh, change their core operations and processes. And this is transformation, right? This is business transformation is painful, there are growing pains involved. And, and there's lots of, uh, you know, people that are concerned and, and, and worried about um, what impact this may have. Certainly with artificial mm. intelligence, there's certainly an existential threat to some people's roles and jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, we are expecting some significant job displacement as a result of this advancement of AI. So this can be quite worrying. And so having, we have to champion change, not just deliver it uh, when we're with the businesses. And with small businesses, it tends to be a bit easier actually to, to, uh, to we were looking at a proposal generation process with a business recently, it took them about 10 hours to get a proposal out the door. Wow. And, you know, we reduced that down to an amount of minutes uh, wow. using AI capabilities. So it's, and we can be quite stubborn as people. Yeah. Uh, certainly when we've got our businesses and we've built it, you yeah. know, and it's built on our foundations. So actually for someone to come in and, and try and show you a new way of working, a modern way of working, it can be quite, again, quite challenging to, for those individuals to, to accept. So um, that's part of the, the role, really, is to come in as experts within the, the technologies. We also have industry alignment SMEs as well that can come in and support the endeavor um, so that there's some, some business context to the technology that we're, we're providing and, and trying to get um, businesses to use. But then at the top scale, as you mentioned, Ben, with, I suppose, a, 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 a complete defense to change, yeah. um, it, it is, the problem is significantly more challenging um, just because the complexities mm. and the scale of operations are obviously much larger. Uh, they take longer to deliver, yep. uh, but the return on investments are, are huge. Wow. Um, and it's a learning curve for many businesses, and it's our job to help educate them around that. Interesting. There's something that just popped into my head just now. is just a flashback to a, a job that I had 
five years ago, no longer than five, six, seven years ago, something like that. And it was a data entry job. I was just copying and pasting phone numbers into boxes and names. <laughs> right. right. And that wasn't actually that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Five, six years ago, something like that. It was just like a bit of a, a summer job. And you think that, you know, that now, I, I doubt that job exists. Surely that's got to be done using AI. Surely. And that's not even that long ago. That was six six or so years ago. And that wasn't even a, an option. It wasn't even a consideration that maybe some technology might be able to do this. And that is really basic stuff, isn't it, that, that tech can do. So you just think how much that has developed now. That's unbelievable how much we've come on in that in that short space of time. Yeah, data entry is probably the area, actually, that's the, the, the first part that's going to be liberated by what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, there's lots of technologies that provide that, that solution. So you've got robotic process automation where you replace the input of a user, you know, with unattended uh, services that can, can deliver that data entry into legacy systems. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, uh, the challenge with data entry today is that it's actually required because of legacy architecture. Right. So you'll have an old system, an archaic system processes around it. And you can't then go and bring in, you know, the latest AI capabilities and wrap it around it. You've, you've, you've got to use um, sort of systems and tools to augment that, that architecture. But yeah, nonetheless, it's, it's, it's curable, right? You're able to remove that and liberate that, that task from a, from a human. The challenge actually today is how far can that go? So, mm. you know, how much can we replace human activity and mimic that behavior with artificial intelligence? I think that's the the ongoing research and development that's going on all around yeah. the world right now. And, uh, you know, we're looking at these systems and understanding, as I say, their, their, their values and, and how they align to certain industries. I think generative AI uh, is going to be an area that's going to completely disrupt industry. Yeah. And we're starting to see that now, certainly with the generation of artwork, digital artwork, yeah. images, digital and sales collateral proposals, contracts, all this stuff. I think it's all going to be self-generated by AI systems. I think we'll supervise that process always mm-hmm. and we'll become more supervisors than creators. Wow. Uh, we'll then tend to turn our attention to the to the stuff that does require human intelligence. So, you know, setting out visions and, and human values and, and having those emotional uh, drivers to, to deliver what we're after. I think that that's where we should spend our time, you know, trying mm-hmm. to crack sustainability problems and climate breakdown. You know, that's mm. where we should be facing challenge not not data entry yeah exactly exactly and and the thing is i you know when people started using chat gpt kind of regularly you know i've always thought that you know removing human the human aspect of a job would be kind of just basically the the mundane kind of data entry kind of stuff uh, the repetitive kind of really boring things that people don't really want to be doing but then I found what I noticed is when people started using ChatGPT, it was almost taking away the creative aspects because it was really advanced. So the creative aspects of, of a job. So, you know, instead of spending, you know, an afternoon writing a, a blog post, you could feed a little bit into uh, a little bit of information into ChatGPT and then it would write a blog post for you that's really really coherent and good so i found that really surprising that people naturally started to use um ai for creative stuff that's actually like quite interesting things to work on you know if you're a writer you enjoy writing you know and and i thought that was quite a shame that people started to immediately think well i can write 10 blog posts today rather than one and i thought that was quite 
it's quite interesting to see the people's reactions to to that kind of technology and, and what it can do. But it's interesting with, with generative AI and what that can do now. And do you think a lot of those creative jobs will be kind of filled by generative AI? I think it'll be replaced by people that are using AI tools. Okay. Um, so in, if you're in that practice today and you're not leveraging the latest you know, developments in artificial intelligence within your space, then mm. uh, I, I think you're putting yourself into a position of disadvantage. Right. There's, there will be someone or some business you know, out there that's, that's competing within your given markets that are using these latest technologies. And it does give them a huge advancement in, um, in capability, obviously, and delivery of productivity and operational excellence, which you would not achieve at the pace you know, if you didn't use those tools. So no. uh, it's all about just you know, embracing, embracing the, the, the technology advancements and still doing your due diligence, understanding the securities and risks mm-hmm. and impacts to compliance and governance. But um, it... it it, it warrants our attention. Mm-hmm. And I think with generative AI, as I say, you will see job displacement. And, and um, you know, we saw this historically with lots of advancements in technology. A great example I was given the other day was um, upper knockers that used to knock on people's windows yeah. um, before the, the invention of alarm clocks. Oh, really? Uh, this, this was a job that people had, mostly <laughs> uh, children, in fact. So they would go around waking people up at certain times. <laughs> Um, but then, obviously, we got the alarm clock, right? And that repl- that completely got rid of that role yeah. um, in, in society. And then the alarm clock was now really replaced with our mobile phones. Yeah. So most people use their mobile devices now. So then digital alarm clocks have now been made redundant as a result. So you tend to see this advancement in, over time. The, the only constant, I think, is change. Um, and so you really got to manage that change and uh, set your expectations around what you can achieve with it. Amazing. I'm just thinking that's the perfect snippet to use for this show i really love that (laughs) (laughs) it's a great example it It is yeah the advancements of technology (laughs) yeah yeah um (laughs) but i mean you know we were talking before we hit record and you mentioned that you've been to westminster very recently talking to some mps about technology and spreading your knowledge i really want to find out how that came about initially and then also what do you talk about (laughs) <laughs> if i was, a, if I was yeah. a fly on the wall what is that conversation like uh, it's a it's a conversation not just about policy and that's the reason we were there initially is to talk about a new report that was provided by the federation of small businesses called tectonic which i think is a fantastic name yeah and that report really set out uh, the trajectory of the tech sector going forward in the uk and how it should support small businesses and how small businesses are part of that um, and our stakeholders of, of, of the delivery of innovation in technology. So it was, a, it, I mean, it's not every day you get the opportunity to have a direct line of communication with <laughs> with, the, uh, yeah. with the government. Um, it's not every day you get invited to the HM Treasury to discuss such a pivotal report. Wow. So really, really interesting for us. And it was a great privilege to be doing that alongside the FSB and members of the FSB. Uh, as Again, again we're, we're it's quite a promising future ahead for us because we remain committed to supporting technology for small businesses in the UK. Um, and that report really was providing insights into my real world experiences along with the others in the room. We provided a unique perspective to the government that's building that policy making for us to guide it and provide instrumental insights into to what they should be including so that there is 
you know, a continuous support for, for small businesses that's robust that will take us through any economic downturn. There's a, there's a mixed bag really at the moment of, you know, significant advancements within artificial intelligence, a high rate in interest rates and cost of living, mm-hmm. mass exodus from technology companies. Uh, it is yeah. creating this, this unique challenge. And so it's really, it's important that the policymakers have view of that. Wow, God, you're an impressive guy, Gary. I must admit that. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating, <laughs> genuinely. Um, I want to kind of end the podcast here with kind of just leaving the floor open to you to share anything that you think is relevant to what we've been speaking about. Yeah, thanks again, Ben, for, for having us on. Um, always great to chat and talk through technology. And it's so good that it moves so quickly because it gives us so much to talk that's about. True, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Every time true. we do chat. Yeah. Um, I suppose for your, for your listeners that are interested in the topics that we've discussed uh, is to, uh, certainly if they're, if they're a small business or a mid-enterprise, it's very important uh, in the digital age to make sure that you're partnering with a technology partner or solutions partner that augments their, their existing teams and yeah. systems and services internally. So they have that external expertise available to them as just advisory or consultation services. Uh, but it can also be implementation partners, of course, coming in and, um, and onboarding new products and services. I just think it's so important, again, for, for small businesses as such to, to, to look at that for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's an affordable way for businesses to grow and innovate yeah. and, and remain competitive and, and have that competitive edge. Um, so I do really implore and encourage everyone listening to, if you're in that bucket, um, to go uh, and look, um, of course, at us, but of course, other businesses who are in different areas that might support their, their endeavours. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, if you're in a business now, you know, whatever size business it is, even if it's just like one person like me, if you're staying still, you know, and you're not looking ahead of what's out there using technology and utilizing technology, you're actually just going to realize that you're going to fall behind because other people will be uh, using technology and leveraging that to get ahead. So yeah, absolutely. This has been amazing, Gary. This has been this has given me lots of food for food for thought about what I can do. I could literally sit here all, all afternoon and, and all morning, sorry, and chat to you genuinely. So thanks, Gary. Once again, you've yeah, got to thanks, come. You've got likewise. to come back on the podcast in maybe a couple months' time <laughs> and see what developments will happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure there'll be loads. So yeah, amazing. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll we'll speak soon. Yeah, thanks for thanks for everything, Ben. Cheers, man. And that wraps up another episode of Leading Beyond the Code. We hope you've enjoyed today's discussion and gained valuable insights into the world of leadership in technology. Your support means the world to us, so please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a nice review. Together, we can expand our reach and make a positive impact on the tech community. Until next time, keep pushing boundaries, embracing innovation, and leading beyond the code.